2: Good morning. The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verses 5 through 19. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another, all will be thrown down. They asked him, Teacher, when will this be? And what will be the sign that it, this is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom upon against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues. And there will be dreadful portents and signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict you will be b- betrayed even by parents and brothers by relatives and friends and they will put some of you to death you will be hated by all because of my name but not a hair of your head will perish by your endurance You will gain your souls. The word of the Lord.
1: Well, those are some happy words from Jesus, right? Yeah, you're going to be killed, but don't worry, not a hair of your head will be damaged. I don't know how that works. You're going to be hated. No big deal. Uh, So we are, those of you who are new here, we follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and what that is... It's a series of, it's a three-year series of passages which follows uh, the story of God found in the scriptures. And so where we're at in the story is that Jesus has just entered Jerusalem for the last time. And in just a few days, he's gonna be crucified. And because we haven't been in the lectionary for a few weeks, we've been doing other things, uh, I wanna just read several different passages that sort of bring you up to speed. So uh, when Jesus enters Into where? What? Who? Okay. I'm getting so much good instruction today. (laughs) What would I do without this great community that is just helps me (laughs) succeed? (laughs) It's so great. I just, I just, I just was seeing this, and I was like, "Stop talking. Am I saying something wrong? Am I?" Okay, so uh, getting up to speed, in Luke 19, when when Jesus enters Jerusalem, uh, I want to read how it's recorded. As he came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side, they'll crush you to the ground you and your children within you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another because you didn't recognize the time of your visitation from God. And you get the sense that he's not talking to anyone right there. He's just like looking at Jerusalem and sort of thinking and talking to himself and saying, oh, and he's weeping. He loves these people. Um, But it's a little odd because right after that, uh, he That's when he picks a fight in the temple. So he goes into the temple, verse 45. This is Luke 19. Uh, and if you have a Bible or if you have a phone, I'm going to be jumping around in Luke 19, 20, and 21. So I encourage you to, um, to follow along. I'm reading from the NRSV. And so verse 45, Then he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling things there. Michael W. Smith CDs, DC Talk, T-shirts... Um, and he said, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. So really what was happening is that people were coming in uh, as it was commanded to do for the annual pilgrimage, and they were bringing their little lamb that was that they had raised and they named, uh, and that this unblemished lamb that they were going to offer for sacrifice and the people that were leading the temple system were um, extracting more money from them. They would say, okay, let's just, oh, let's take little, your little lamb. We're just going to um, inspect it really quick to make sure it's not blemished. And if it's not blemished, you can use it. But if it is blemished, don't worry, because we have other lambs that will sell to you at a high price. And we've you've traveled all this way, and so I'm sorry the price is so high, but that's just what you have to do. And that's what was happening. That's why Jesus was so incensed. He was so mad. Because his father's house, the temple, the house of God, had become this place where the rich were getting richer. And so that's part of the narrative as we head into uh, the text that Pam just read. And then in Luke 20, verses 1 and 2, uh, Jesus starts to get questioned by the religious establishment. (laughs) Big surprise there, right? Based on what he's saying. One day, as he was teaching the people in the temple, invited or not... And telling the good news, the chief priests and scribes came to him with the elders and said to him, tell us, by what authority are you doing these things? Who is it that gave you this authority? And basically what they're asking is, what, what line of teachers have you come from? Like, who's, are you uh, Gamaliel's student? Are you someone else's student? How, how do we know you can teach the way that you teach? How do we know that you're authorized to speak for God? Um. And then Jesus answers a question, and then he begins to tell this parable, and it's called the parable of the wicked tenants. And most parables are really tricky and slippery, and you don't know what they're saying, really. This one is deadly obvious, and they get it. And he basically says there's a guy who plants a vineyard, and he leases it out to tenants, and he went to another country for a long time. And then he sent someone back in order to get his share of the produce, but the tenants killed the person who he sent. So he sends another guy, kills, kills that person too. And then he, he's like, oh my gosh, this is serious. So the guy sends his son to collect his part of the money, and they kill him too. And so Jesus is telling this parable. <laughs> um, and uh, let's see. And then at the end, uh, Jesus says, everyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the scribes and and chief priests realized that he had told this parable against them, they wanted to lay hands on him that very hour. But they feared what the people would do because the people loved Jesus. And then at the very end, we're still just leading up to the text that Pam just read. At the very end of Luke chapter 20, starting in verse 45, we read this. In the hearing of all the people, he said to the disciples, beware of the scribes. Scribes are some of the religious leaders who like to walk around in long robes and to love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses for the sake of the appearance of Say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Now, quick all play question. What do you think Jesus meant when he said they will devour widows' houses? What did he mean by that? Like, why would a scribe devour a widow's house? That's weird. even how would they? Stealing from the poor. Thanks, Greg. There's a consuming, Jenny. Say more. I love that. Yeah. Right. 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 Now they're religious leaders. Are they going to the widow's house and say and like stealing from her purse? How are they getting the money? Okay, Deb, they create a system that exploits the vulnerable. How do they do that?
0: Selling the pure lambs is part of it. Thanks, Pam. What else? putting themselves in positions of authority. And again, you know, they
1: got the long robes, they got the best seats, they got the box seats at the the Vikings games, right? They're sitting in the NFL commissioner's booth. And, uh, you know, so we're like, we're listening, we're going like, who would do that? Ah, man, it's so awful. So Luke 21, verses five and six, which Pam just read, Let me remind you, when some were speaking about the temple, saying how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. Now, he's looking at the second temple. The first temple was destroyed in 586 BCE. Uh, The second temple was completed in probably 520 BCE, but there was a massive renovation that was completed around 20 CE by Herod the Great. Now, Herod the Great was um, the ruler of the Jewish people appointed by Rome to make sure that they could go ahead and worship the way they wanted to worship, but they had to be under the control of Herod the Great. So Herod the Great, like, restored the temple and put golden... Uh, ornate, uh, all kinds of um, ornate jewelry all over
0: it. Stones. How did he get that money? Thank you, Joe. Taxes. How did the how did the temple tax people?
1: And the temple did tax people. So the. <laughs> any way they wanted to. Thanks, Joan. Well, there, there's, a, there's a thing called the temple treasury, and you were required to give to the temple treasury, right? And uh, so just before today's scripture portion that Pam just read, Luke 21, verses 5 and 6, Jesus tells a little story that I'll tell to you. He looked up, and he saw rich people putting in their gifts into the treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she has contributed out of her poverty. She's put in all she's had to live on. Now, church people, how have you
0: heard that story interpreted? The widow's might. Well, just say, say it.
1: Becky said abusively. How have you heard that story interpreted? So the, the preacher says, hey, the, the widow puts in two copper coins. Uh, the rich people put in whatever they put in. It's unnamed, unnamed source. Have you heard it, have you heard it interpreted? Thanks, John. Uh, it's all about the level of sacrifice. So essentially, you know, you got to give till it hurts, right? If you give till it hurts... You're holy, right? You don't want to give something that doesn't cost you anything. You got to give something that costs you something, right? Um, now, I don't, I don't disagree with that as a statement. But I absolutely disagree that that's what Jesus was saying when he brought up the story of the, of the widow. Um, the temple treasury was technically a storehouse for grain, but the concept of treasury is kind of generic, so it also becomes a place to store money. When Judas betrayed Jesus and got 30 uh, silver pieces and he tried to return it, the religious leader said, well, that money is tainted. It can't go back into the temple treasury. So it's, this, it's a storehouse for grain, for money. And according to Josephus, he's a historian from the first century that wrote about the first century. Uh, for example, Pontius Pilate, who is the guy who um, had this long conversation with Jesus, was so fascinating. Says what is truth, and essentially, um, you know, condemned him to death. He used the temple treasury to build a fifty-mile-long aqueduct into Jerusalem. Now, that's probably a really good thing for some people. But I'm guessing the widow who put in her clank, clank, two copper coins wasn't benefiting too much by the aqueduct. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. I think it's highly unlikely that Jesus was commending the action of the widow based on the context. And I want to remind you in Luke 20... Verses 46 and 47, I just read this a few minutes ago, but beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, loved and greeted with respect in the marketplace, and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses. For the sake of the appearance, they say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. So what's an interpretation of the story of the widow and those two copper coins that might fit with the context of everything we've seen today? That's an all play question. How would you interpret the story that Jesus tells about the rich people that give the money into the treasury and the widow that gives all she has into the treasury? Where do you place your trust? Yes, it asks a question. Where are you placing your trust?
0: Thanks, Rick. What else? Thanks,
1: Joe. I don't think I need to repeat that for the sake of the audio, but I will for the recording. God is fed up, and Joe's essentially quoting one of the prophets, but God is fed up with the singing of songs and the practicing of rituals and calling that holy when we ignore our neighbors and when we devour widows' houses. So, I bet if we were doing a building, and, and remember, like, the temple reconstruction was a building project, so let's say we were doing a building project, okay? Let's say we wanted to put a 30-foot LCD screen in here, and it, which, of course, we, that's what we're going to talk about at the congregational meeting tomorrow. Um, <laughs> but, and we're like, hey, everyone's got to pitch in. Let's say everyone thought it was a good idea, Right? Let's say, somehow, people thought that was a good idea. Who is going to volunteer to accept uh, the final $10 that a widow has for that LCD
0: screen? Who wants to volunteer to, to receive that 10 bucks? Is that the right thing to do? Even if it's the right thing to get an LCD screen, <laughs>
1: Maybe it is. Do we want to teach that you have to give, that a person who has nothing has to give their last $10? Like, is that really what we think Jesus would teach? Now, um, question. This is rhetorical. I don't want you to answer. It's not an all play. Why do we read a story like the widow's mite and automatically assume that
0: Jesus is commending the action of the widow. I'm going to argue that we read it that way.
1: We see what we see in the Bible because we've been trained to see it in a certain way. Because we're, most of us, this is just reality, are part of the system that benefits from the system. We're going to see the Bible, we're going to interpret the Bible according to what benefits us. Now, I'm not saying that to make anyone feel badly. I am saying that to say, like, when we take the Bible seriously, which I hope we do around here, we have to take it all throughout its context, and we can't just pick out a little verse like that and then shame people who aren't giving more money or more anything, because Jesus said it. So what this whole passage is really about is that Jesus is looking at the temple with its ornate gold and stone in which God is supposed to dwell, and he's looking at the scribes with their long robes and box seats through whom God is supposed to speak, and he's saying both of these will be thrown down because both of these are corrupt. That's what he's saying. And Rick is right. This story is about what you put your trust in. And he's saying, beware of putting your trust in systems. Systems are important. Systems play a role. But every system grows. It 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 gets started out of a need, and then it grows to a point where it fights to sustain itself over and above the needs of the people. And that's what Jesus is saying is going to come down. And in Isaiah 65, which Greg uh, read, the, the, I, I had to write this down as I was even hearing it. When Greg read from Isaiah 65, which is also this week's lectionary text, they, they in this new Jerusalem that, Jesus is, that God will build, they shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. What does that mean? In the new Jerusalem, what does that mean? One will not build and another inhabit. One will not plant and another eat. People aren't going to be exploited. People that build houses are going to live in them. People that plant vineyards are going to watch that wine as it ages. And they're going (laughs) to drink that wine at their kids' weddings. I don't know what that was. That was most awkward wine pour. We'll get, we'll get our, our audio people to put, you know, something better in the podcast. Um, <laughs> not a chance. And then the, the people asked Jesus in Luke 21.7, Hey, uh, teacher, when will this be?
0: And what will be the sign that it's about to take place? What are they asking? They're asking, how long, oh Lord, how long, how long do I have to share crop my own land? How long But we demand that the establishment gets its own way
1: while the most vulnerable get exploited, like the widow? How long? And Jesus answers kind of this weird, I I grew up in the 70s and 80s, you know? So like, there was a book called 1988 Reasons the World Will End in 1988. Everyone got all excited. Every time there was a conflict in in the Middle East, which is every year since the beginning of the Bible, oh, there's a conflict in the Middle East. Let's get excited because you know what that means? That means the end is coming. Like, think about that. That's crazy to celebrate that. Wars and insurrections, earthquakes, famines, plagues, signs from heaven. Jesus is saying all these things are going to happen. You'll be arrested. You'll be betrayed even by your family members. Some of you will be put to death. Everyone's going to hate you because of me. Yes, sign me up for that. But people
0: did sign up for that. Why? Why did they sign up for that? Have you ever sat with someone and as they talk, you're like, I I think she
1: has something. I I think she has a fire in her belly that is going somewhere good. And I want to get around that. I think people could sense and see that Jesus was for real. And when he said, not a hair of your head will perish, but by your endurance you'll gain your souls. Um, Endurance, Greek word, hupomone, it's a feminine noun. I like that. I don't even know why I like that. I just like that. It means to wait, to abide, to not flee. By your waiting, by your abiding, by not fleeing. Reminds me of the women who lingered at the cross as Jesus died. It reminds me of the women who stayed by the tomb when Jesus was raised, waiting for Jesus. And then you will gain your souls. The word for souls, it's the Greek word suke, it's also a feminine noun. It means breath, the vital force which animates the body, the spirit, by your endurance, by your waiting, by your and by your steadfastness. And if waiting sounds passive, think of the kind of waiting that is not moving, that immovable force that's saying, you can knock me down, you can run me over, but I am no longer supporting a system that robs the widows
0: of their two copper coins. I'm not going to do it. Religious structures and systems, even the ones that seem like they're gonna last forever,
1: they will they will all collapse. So don't put your hope in them. And like you guys, I mean, I've gotten I've my living has been paid
0: for by a religious system for 24 years, so I am in the game. But Isaiah 65 says, paints a picture of a a reality that, like, it, it,
1: it, it will happen. I'm about to create new heavens and a new earth, God says. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I'm creating. I'm about to create a Jerusalem as a joy and its people
0: as a delight. I will rejoice in my people. These are hard times to live. Who among us will be that steadfast
1: person that just says, I'm not moving? I will no longer stand by as the most oppressed among us, yet further oppressed. I will read, I will study, I will, I will, I will understand viewpoints
0: other than my own so that the widow is among us. And widow is a real thing. It's
1: also you put in whoever
0: gets oppressed that way because of systems. There's coming a day when the systems fall. And those who resist the way of the system will... Abide
1: in the way of Christ, even in the midst of terrible things, and they will receive breath. Remember when Pam just read, Don't prepare what you're going to say. I will give you the words to say in that moment when you need to testify. You will receive breath, an animating force within you, which enables you to embody Christ in the
0: world. In 2019, 2020, right here, right now.
1: that's, That's what Jesus is calling us to. Us, the body of Christ. So here's my invitation
0: this week. Just rest and listen. And then look to see what God will show you
1: things that you haven't seen before, normal things, things you pass by every day. And I think God will stir up in you a passion for something that needs to be made right. And then you just, all you can do is just the next step, you know. Should I do this, should I do that, I don't know, I don't know. The next right thing, that's all you can do. And get some people around you and share your idea with them and say, are you, what are you seeing? What are you sensing God is doing? among us, and then just be at peace with that. Be at peace that it's gonna take a while, and it's like, you can't care about every single thing in the world, amen? You can't, you're gonna be crushed under the, the weight of, I have to be passionate about everything, no, like, listen, what is yours to do today? Our friend Jair Swigert says, what is yours to do? And God will give you that animating force to do what you need to do when you need to do it. You don't need to worry. <sighs> but you can be afraid. Just <laughs> don't run. Deal?
0: Endings are a place where life is remained.